Hey friends, welcome to Boca, a podcast exploring the ever-blurring lines between the personal and business lives of professional photographers. This is your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm happy that you can join me today in connecting with photographers and entrepreneurs as we discuss photography, business, and oh yeah, that sometimes messy thing that we call life. This podcast is brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. All right, Boca Podcast listeners, thank you so much for joining us for yet another episode. And I'm here with a new friend of mine, Tashawn Jackson. Tashawn, thank you so much for making time for the Boca Podcast this week. Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. No, it's truly a privilege. And we're going to get into a topic today that is an interesting one. You know, believe it or not, despite the fact that I own an editing company, we don't really talk about outsourcing, the idea of outsourcing a whole lot. Um, the last thing that I want is for our Boca podcast listeners to feel like they're just coming to a commercial every time they listen, listen to the podcast. And so we don't talk about it a whole lot, but uh, this was actually a topic you suggested to me. And uh, so I'm really curious to get your take on the topic of outsourcing. We're going to get to that here in just a little bit. But I actually have a totally random question to ask you off the bat. I didn't even put this in the outline that I shared with you. Um, but on your website, there is a tagline that says fearless Dallas photographer. And I'm curious what you mean by fearless. What's the thought process behind that? It's one of those things where on wedding day for me, there's nothing I won't try. I like it. Yeah, it's I always believe if it's, you know, if you want to try it, try it out. You know, whether or not it works, you won't know till you try it. So you have to attack it in a fearless, fearless manner. I like that. And there's something about uh, being willing to try different things that adds an element of adventure to business and to life for that matter. You know, you, 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 especially in this day and age in our culture, there is this kind of ultra focus on safety, uh, which on, on one hand I can understand, but on another, I don't know, there, there's something about not necessarily putting ourselves in danger per se, but about doing something that pushes us outside of our comfort zone that I think enables us to feel a sense of life in a way that, that others who just want to stay inside a tiny little box can't feel. And I think this is applicable to photography as well. One of the things that we can do as photographers is to push ourselves outside our comfort zone and to do things that maybe we didn't plan on doing or doesn't necessarily follow our job description but that is an opportunity to feel a little bit more alive and more specifically as an artist. And uh, so I, I like that. And I just caught that tagline actually just before we started talking today. And so I figured I'd ask you about that. I appreciate you sharing. Something that oh, yeah. we no normally start the podcast with is uh, something that we call our technique for time. And um, very simply, this is a, a tip, a technique, a workflow idea maybe that you're implementing in your day-to-day -day or week-to-week -week life as a photography business owner that saves you time, that gives you a little bit more freedom for yourself? What, would, what comes to mind there? Well, I'll tell you this. In all transparency, I suck at time management. <laughs> and I, I was honest with myself last week, and I told myself, this week I'm going to make major changes. Yeah. I was up at 5.30 this morning. I have on my phone, I have the iPhone, so I have the Reminders app. Yeah. And I schedule out everything that needs to get done today. And I was up. And I start my day at 6.46, I believe, this morning. Okay. So I'm, when I got done with one thing, I check it off because I really have to get better with my time management. So for me, right, I'm currently using the Reminders app on the iPhone. Okay. <laughs> to schedule out what's important, what has to get done yeah. in a particular order per se. But And, you know, we've talked about something here, uh, a topic on the, on the podcast numerous times at this point, task and project management in one form or another. And while that... 
idea of coming up with a system for managing all the tasks and projects associated with your day-to-day life and your business is a good idea, um, and it can certainly be helpful. At the end of the day, it can it can also be potentially distracting or even overwhelming or limiting because some photographers who are maybe more so the artist type, they say, you know, the least the last thing that I am is organized and structured and discipline and the idea of implementing a multi-step task and project management system, that just that's ridiculous. I would never do that. But I like the simplicity of the notion that you're or the idea that you're describing, which is just pull that app that's already available on your phone write down a few things that you should focus on for that day and focus on just those things. And then take them one at a time, finish the first thing, cross that off, go to the next thing, check that off, go to the next thing. And that very simple focus would probably make a drastic difference in many of our listeners' lives if they were just willing to implement that that simple process, that simple workflow. Oh, yeah. Yeah, man. I've already culled a session I did last night. I've designed a wedding album already. I've previewed a video I've done some editing. I met minor ones, you know, for my Instagram. Yeah. I'm like, had I not had my schedule, I would have done any of those things today. Yeah. I tell you that. Well, it's a difference between a reactive and proactive mode or mentality, right? So our tendency, and I'm certainly guilty of it, um, is to react to whatever is incoming, whatever seems most interesting at the moment, whatever notification popped up on our phone or or email popped into our inbox. For those of you who leave your, your email open all day, it's easy to just simply react to whatever might be happening around us. And that distracts from focusing on the individual tasks that would actually help us move our business forward. And so I mean, you, you've given a wonderful example of how focusing on just a few things one at a time enables you to be able to get things done very quickly and efficiently. Uh, and I, I think that's brilliant. So I appreciate you sharing that with us and, and good luck as you continue to implement this uh, in your workflow as well. Speaking of your free time, talk to us a little bit about when you do have some free time, how do you like to spend that? I'm an audiobook junkie. Yeah. And I found when I'm doing my work, it's hard to listen to an audiobook and be really focused. So I'd rather spend my spare time either listen to an audiobook or play with my little kid. I have a one-year-old. He just turned one this past Friday. That's awesome. So that's my spare time and usually eats up most of my time. So. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I can imagine. My, my kids, I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but they're 16 and 13. And uh, so it's a different dynamic, a different lifestyle when you have older kids. There are elements of, of having younger kids that I miss. Uh, there's a certain, it, it sounds a little bit cliche maybe, but innocence that that you see in a in a young child and the way that they observe the world the way that they engage with you and all i can say is don't take that for granted because um that's something that you know that your your children are going to develop and grow and and change and uh the way that they engage with you is going to change over time and i think that we have the opportunity to kind of maintain some of that innocence and that that wonderful connection that we have with our kids even as they age and, and become teenagers and so forth but don't um, take that for granted. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I love that you're, you're prioritizing that time with your child. I think that's wonderful. You mentioned audiobooks, though. What is one of the most impactful books that you've listened to as of late? I've always gone back to my four-hour work week. That has always been one of the best books I've ever listened to. Yeah. But this past week, I've been going back to The Richest Man in Babylon. Interesting. Okay, who's that by? Uh, what's his name? Uh, I can never remember his name, but a great book back in 2011 okay. when I got a hold of it. And ever so often I go back to the audiobook, but I feel like I need to get more structure, especially with my finances. I always go back to that audiobook. Interesting. Okay. So focus on finances. And you, you said it's called The Richest Man in Babylon? 
Richest Man in Babylon. Okay. And we'll make sure to, to find that and link to that in the show notes. And by the way, for those of you listening in, make sure you check out the show notes. It's just Boca Podcast, B-O-K-E-H podcast.com. And uh, Haley, again, does just a wonderful job of putting all this information together that we discuss in these podcast episodes. So if you just go to bocapodcast.com, you can check out that information, the links from today's episode as well. What's something totally random that most people might not know about you, Deshaun? Most random. Let's see. I'm great at a few things. Okay. I'm great in the kitchen. I can cook very well. Nice. What's your favorite thing to cook? Anything fish related, red snapper or salmon. I only cook two fish. Nice. I, okay. I okay. made bass this past weekend. My father-in-law went fishing and brought home some bass and I made some bass over the weekend. Beautiful. Okay. So you're a great cook. What's something else? I have a love of music. I can DJ very well. Really? Okay. I'm very good at mixing, mixing music on my turntables. Now, is this something that you've done professionally or is it more of just a hobby? No, I've only done it as a hobby, but I, I competed in a DJ battle in Dallas last year. did very well. Nice. Okay. I also DJed a 90s party in Atlanta back in September. Oh, that sounds fun. Okay. Yeah. In Atlanta, that'd be the place to do it too. That's awesome. I, I grew up playing music, so I love the piano and love the drums. I learned the drums older. I have a bass guitar and acoustic guitar that I still like to play every now and then. Not that good at it though, but turntables, I'm good at that. Okay. And you said the piano. I, I love to play the piano. I'm not that great at it, but I grew up playing the piano. It was a big part of my kind of musical background. And, and I ended up playing clarinet actually all the way up into college. But do you still get to play piano? Is that something that you will do occasionally just to relax? Just every now and then. My parents have a piano at the house, so I'll go on it and just tinker. But Yeah. Yeah. Same here, actually. I don't actually own a piano. I have a keyboard that I can plug into my computer, but my, my parents have a, a baby grand piano at their house. And so every once in a while to have the opportunity to go to their place and just sit and play is, is a wonderful thing. I, I love to play the piano. Let's kind of switch gears though a little bit and let's talk about your photography business. And we mentioned it at the very beginning, but I'm curious to, to hear a little bit of your backstory, the backstory of Deshaun Jackson photography, um, how you got into photography and how long you've been in business thus far. Let's see. I have an architecture degree, so I worked as an architect for 10 years. And I also have a civil design degree. So I was working in the civil design part of the, the company. Okay. And that's on 2000 until 2007. And that's the economy was slowing down. I was back in school to get my architecture degree. And I realized the economy was tanking and things were slow at our office. And I said, hey, I need to find... Either I switch departments or I get laid off. Yeah. And I can't get laid off because I'm still in school. I need to pay my tuition. Yeah. I found the architecture department in Fort Worth. I went over there unannounced one day, scheduled an appointment. And the, the guy told me I was crazy for showing up unannounced. And I said, hey, you got to do crazy things to get what you want. I love that. We were going to have to make a t-shirt out of that or something. That quote, that's great. Uh, yeah. Because he, I, I knew one person in the office. I just showed up and I was like, I need to talk to your boss. And he, he never forgot that day, but he scheduled an interview and I got accepted in the architecture department. Wow. Well, that's December of 2007. I got headshots done in the office and I was like, that's a nice camera. Never saw one that close before. And I started researching cameras for about almost a year. And around that time, I had taken Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University course. Okay. And I learned about negotiating. So I was at Target one day to get some school supplies and I saw a camera that I saw online and I was like, I wonder, can I get this price cheaper? And I think the asking price was like 500 and something dollars. 
And I said, let me negotiate this price of this camera down. And I did everything I learned. And I got the camera for two thirty eight thirteen. Never forgot. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. Now I have to ask you about this because I mean, the idea of negotiating at an open market uh, with, you know, a small business owner, that's, that's one thing, but going to target and negotiating for a lower price, that's not something I'm familiar with. What did that conversation look like? I spoke to the sales rep because the camera was the one on display. And I told him, well, people have touched this camera. It's used. I need a better price. He said, well, that's the best we can do. And Dave Ramsey always said, tell him that's not good enough. So I said, that's <laughs> okay. not good enough. All right. Let me talk to the manager. And then the manager came out. I told him, I need this camera. And I don't want to pay the price that's asking for it because people have touched this camera every day in the store. Yeah. Okay, it's not brand new in the box, so I need a better price. And he said, well, we can't do anything for you. I said, yes, you can. There's a better price available. And he said, here's what we can do. Get a Target credit card, and we'll save you all, this, you know, all the savings. And I said, I don't want a credit card. I don't care for credit cards. He said, well, if you get it, we'll get this price down for you. I got the credit card. I got approved. I paid for the camera, went to customer service, paid off the credit card. They're like, why are you paying it off? I said, I don't need a credit card. I'm here just to get save the money. Yeah. And I got the camera in October of 2008. Okay. And I was like, what do I do with this camera now? I did nothing with it. I took like a picture of a flower, took a selfie in the mirror, you know, the staple photograph you take. Of course. And I didn't know what to do with the camera. It was on automatic. I didn't know it was on automatic because... I had no clue about cameras. So around November, December, I started taking pictures of myself, my wife. And while on the campus, University of Texas in Arlington, there was a group of fraternities saying they needed a photographer. And I said, I'm a photographer. And I happened to have a picture of my wife in my backpack. And they're like, you are? I said, here's a picture I've taken. And they said, well, I like this picture. And I said, what do you need? They need some pictures for promotional pageant they're doing in January. They need headshots of all the girls. And they asked him how much I charge and asked them how many girls you need. They told me it's 10. So I, told, I gave them a price and they thought the price was ridiculous. <laughs> okay. I told them, you can either hire a professional or you can hire an amateur, your choice. <laughs> so we, they said, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll hire you. We scheduled this, the shoot on a Sunday afternoon around noon in December. And again, I knew nothing about photography. I shot it, crazy shadows, and they love the pictures. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome and this is i mean this is your first gig and they're they're loving the pictures already did you yeah. just have a like a natural eye for it had you studied a lot prior to that to shooting that no i knew nothing in fact okay. i shot on automatic because that's what the camera came on i had no clue interesting interesting all right so this is your first gig and what did it where did it go from there you had this first experience and they were happy with the images did that just encourage you to, to go out and find another one not really, but, you know, they told me they needed images for the pageant, which is January. Okay. And I was like, okay. And I gave them a price for that, and they thought it was expensive. I'm like, again, you like the promotional work. You like the real work now. <laughs> so uh, so around January, I decided to buy a better, le- you know, air quotes, better lens. Yeah, yeah. It was a, a Tamron, like, I think 18 to something else. Like, it was, it was, it was one of the zoom lens they had. And... It's still 3.5 to f.6, zoom in, aperture closes. I didn't know that at the time because I don't know anything. And the pageant was in an auditorium, low light, and I bought a Sunpack flash from Walmart. Nice. Light didn't do much. And there was a girl tap dancing, and I'm using a Canon Rebel XT yeah. with a Tamron zoom lens. Nice. Very slow one. <laughs> and I remember she tap dancing. I couldn't keep up. But the images came out blurry, like a blurry red streak. Okay. And I submitted the photos 
and they asked about that blurry picture. And I said, that's an artistic image you've never seen before. And they said, yeah, we never saw that kind of before. That's, that's, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. And they hired me to do every pageant for the next, you know, two, two, three years. No way. That's awesome. Yeah. When all else fails, if the picture doesn't turn out good, just call it art. <laughs> That's hilarious. Okay. So that was, now 2008 is when you got the camera. When was that first gig? Was it shortly thereafter? That was de- that December. That December. Okay. So this has been almost what eight years ago. No, I'm sorry. 10 years ago. Um, yep. so, so around 2009 to like 2012, I was just playing around shooting some portraits and just having fun. I read, again, I'm working in my career path. So photography was just a little fun thing on the side. Sure, didn't take sure. Years. But once I was laid off in January of 2011, I took a long break from photography because I was working on a book and another business model. I was, you know, some partners of mine. And end of 2012, I told myself, maybe I should look back at photography and take it serious. Really go, you know, all hands on deck kind of thing. Yeah. So 2013, I told myself, I'm going to go ahead to register a new business and be legit and learn about wedding photography. And I was doing it full-time then. So 2013 to now, I've been doing it full-time. Wow. Okay. Now, but you've piqued my curiosity because you mentioned the book. Did you ever publish this book? Yeah. It got published the fall of 2011. Okay. And can I ask what the book is about? It's about maximizing your potential. It's called Pause and Pursue. Thou shall live the life you are meant to live. Available on Barnes & Noble, online, Amazon, any online bookstore that's awesome man okay cool we'll link to that is, is that is writing a an additional passion if you will is it something that you still do on an ongoing basis or is that something you'll go back to every now and then i'll write some things down i have a lot of things in my head i like to just jot down time to time yeah so now i believe that every person has one book in them at least at least one book they can write hmm i like that i like that okay I, this may be a whole separate podcast episode in and of itself because i'd be curious to kind of explore that idea i'm sure there, there may be a few of our listeners out there who do have that book. Maybe even it's even front of mind. They've been curious about what it means to actually write a book. Maybe we can get into that sometime. But uh, certainly we'll link to that that book in the show notes as well so our listeners can can go take a look. You are shooting weddings, it looks like, primarily at this point. I'm, I'm on your website right now. And by the way, for those of you listening, you're going to go to T-E-S-H-O-R-N, Deshaun Jackson, just like it sounds, .com. And uh, you can check out Deshaun's work. And uh, Deshaun, what, go ahead and share, if you will, your Instagram page as well. And we'll make sure to link to this in the show notes as well. Is this Deshaun Jackson? The same thing as your website. That's perfect. Um, so T-E-S-H-O-R-N Jackson. And I've got, again, we'll link to that in the show notes as well. But Deshaun, wedding photographers, there are a lot of them out there. How do you set your business apart, your business model, your brand apart from other wedding photographers in your market? What is your photography business's brand position? You know, I cater to, you know, mid to higher end. Okay. Um, not the ex- exclusive high end because I don't really care for that market. Um, but for me, it's all about the service. Okay. Th- there's a question on my question, my contact form about, are you a drinker? White wine, red wines. I like to make sure that they know they're not coming to just any random photographer. Hmm. And you're asking that question about what they like to drink because you're going to offer something to drink when they meet with you? Or what, what is the purpose behind that? On, on wedding day, depending on the, the client I have. I'll bring a bottle of wine for them, their favorite wine. Nice. So you're taking that level of service to the next level. But you mentioned specifically that you're not really into the the kind of the ultra high-end weddings. What's the reason for that? My personality, I'm, you know, I'm laid back, I'm fun. And sometimes I've met with some people like that before. They're not as fun or they, they have the demeanor of I'm about business only and 
I can't always be myself. And if I can't be myself, mm. I don't want to be there. That makes sense. And the added pressure, I just don't want to deal with all that. I like that. But that comes from kind of knowing yourself, which is always an important element to running an effective photography business, I think, and then playing on that idea. So that, that, that's wonderful. You've, you've thought through the reasons why you're doing that, why you're going after this particular clientele. I love that. You, you mentioned the significance of service. Now, frankly, a lot of photographers will talk about service, right? They offer a good service or a good experience. How do you effectively communicate this idea of the focus on the experience and the service that you have offer your photographers? How do you communicate, I'm sorry, your clients, how do you communicate that to them? For me, I have systems in place. When I get an inquiry, that res- they're responded to within 20 minutes. Okay. Give them full details of what they're looking for. So I've had a lot of brides say, man, you're quick with the response. I said, shouldn't I be quick? <laughs> I have systems in place for that. You know, so because, you know, a lot of times they're shopping and I'm not the most patient person when I'm looking for something. I need responses immediately or in a timely manner. And when, if I have to wait, I'm already moved on. And I, you know, I like to think that my clients are the same way. So timely with them, communicate mm. effectively as possible in the manner they prefer. That way they know they're being taken care of. Interesting. So how do you balance? This is this is kind of a. I won't say a struggle because that sounds kind of dramatic, but this has been a challenge for me, balancing that timeliness in running my businesses with also wanting to have a life, right? I mentioned just in passing earlier the idea of having email open all day. A lot of a lot of photography business owners do that. You'll see email notifications pop up on their phone in addition to whatever other messaging apps that they have. They'll probably leave it open on their desktop or their laptop as well. Communication, they have constantly coming in and they're being notified of it. And that distracts them, like we were talking about, from focusing on other things in their business. Um, The last thing that I want, of course, for example, is to be spending time with my kids or my girlfriend or otherwise and in the evenings and have email notifications coming in for the sake of being timely. But at the same time, I, I totally get what you're talking about. I want companies to respond to me quickly as well. How do you balance the timeliness with also still having a life? You know, when it comes to emails, I don't check it every day, all day long. Okay. That's one thing I've learned a long time ago. I check it three times a day. I like that. Okay. So do you have particular times? I look at in the morning, you know, afternoon and in the evening, which that will change soon with this new, my new system. Yeah. Emails stop checking at 6 p.m. I like that. When you're saying you check in the morning, are you doing it first thing in the morning or do you kind of push it back to later in the morning? Uh, we're about 9 a.m. or so. Okay. All right. So it gives you time to kind of get the day started. You don't feel like you're stuck in email immediately, um, but then you're checking it early enough to, to jump on anything that needs to be addressed. Okay. That, that, that makes sense. That makes sense. Well, I, I like that you're, again, very proactive in setting that structure, though. And it's not extreme by any means, but the structure enables you to then be able to focus on the other things that like you described earlier. And I think that's a great balance. Talk to us about the lessons that you've learned in business thus far. What's one of the toughest that you've learned that maybe you can share with our listeners so they don't have to repeat the same mistakes? Oh, don't do it. No, (laughs) (laughs) let me tell you, I hate paperwork. Oh my gosh. Paperwork can be the death or life of a business. Yeah. Especially tax paperwork. For sure. Healthcare paperwork. They all tie together, especially when you're self-employed. Yeah. If you can get someone who can handle all that for you, please do. Okay. Please do. Because there are a lot of things, when you start a business, I have an architecture degree. I don't have a business degree. I've taken business classes and all the classes that comes with it, but no one's going to walk you through the steps of how to do everything you need to know how to do. Hmm. And sometimes your ignorance can be costly. So if you can get someone 
who can help you prepare, you know, taxes, the quarterly taxes, the, your, you know, any, any paperwork needed, talk to someone about that, have them help you out. You know, you don't have to go to the, what was it? The, the tax assessor's office on an afternoon, trying to catch up to things you should have done a year or two ago. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, part of that is just the tendency. I mean, I, I know that I uh, have been quite guilty of procrastinating, especially when it came to, I mean, I've talked about this a number of times in the podcast, uh, dealing with finances and financial paperwork and taxes and so forth. That was a, that was just the bane of my existence as a photography business owner. And it's one of the things that I would certainly do differently had they, if I had the opportunity to start my photography business over again. So procrastination is an element of it, but then having the professional help. And there's something about knowing that you've got somebody on your side that can kind of alleviate the stress, which tends to push us toward that procrastination. So, you know, if we're afraid of one element or another of dealing with finances or handling your taxes quarterly or annual or otherwise, knowing that you've got somebody you can go to who can answer the questions and make it easier for you, that's always a great idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because when you don't do it, you procrastinate, you can notice this and you're like, oh, I'll get to it tomorrow and tomorrow turns into next year. So <laughs> trust me. It's so true. It's so true. And that it's, it's a great piece of advice, though, to make sure you've got someone on your side. And it may seem like a simple or even obvious idea, but I would venture that there are plenty of photography business owners out there that maybe haven't taken advantage of that yet. And all it takes is just asking around, go to a Facebook a photography Facebook group or just post to your local friends and say, hey, do you, can you recommend an accountant or a bookkeeper that I can get in touch with? And uh, you can get connected with that person and get going right away. They can help you get set up in QuickBooks if you haven't already and get started in the right direction. So that's, that's great advice. A little bit of a different type of question here for you. Talk to us about your gear bag. What's a favorite piece of camera equipment or an accessory or otherwise that you're just really stoked on right now? Uh, I'm not a gearhead per se, but I love my 35 millimeter. I'm a Nikon shooter and a Sony shooter too. I have both, but I can't shoot without my 35. Yeah. I keep, I keep very minimalist. I don't like too many options because options slow me down. Yes. Uh, but again, my 35 will always be with me. I, I, I like the, and, and you keep feeding us great quotes today, but this quote, um, just now about how more options slow you down um, this is something that we've addressed before in the podcast, but it, it's good that we continue to go back to it because uh, there is this idea that, I mean, options, and, and again, I'm, I'm guilty of this too. It's, it's fun to buy the latest equipment or gear. And, and for me, this isn't just about photography or podcasting or, or otherwise. I mean, I, I, motorcycles for me right now and, and have been actually for a couple of years or so now are, are a, a, a I mean, that's the thing that I, I really love doing outside of, of, or one of the things that I really love doing outside of work. And it's easy to fall prey to, I got to have the latest this thing or that thing. And the reality is at the end of the day, options can become so overwhelming. There becomes this, and I'll use the title of a book that I think I've referenced in the podcast before, but by a guy named Barry Schwartz called The Paradox of Choice. Those options become a paradox of choice, which can actually be stifling, limiting, um, we have so many options to choose from that it actually limits our ability in the moment, to, to your point, Tashawn. And so I love that you point that out. Minimizing the number of options allows you to focus on your job at the moment, which is to be a photographer, to capture that moment. And if you have to shuffle through 50 different lenses to get to the one that you actually want to use, that could potentially be problematic. I also love, though, that you're mixing up your gear. Instead of just one brand, you've got Nikon and Sony. What's the thought process behind that? 
You know, I'm not loyal to anyone who's not paying me. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> That's great. So just, do you like the, I mean, do you like the different types of, of bodies? Do you like the images that are coming from those cameras? Why choose two different brands? Well, I've always liked the mirrorless. I have a Fuji, you know, I have two different Fuji, Fuji mirrorless cameras that I, on my shelf that I use just to shoot around. Okay. So I like the technology of the mirrorless, but I like the built, the Nikon itself. And for me, the Nikon body allows me to do creative things that I can't do with mirrorless, like double exposures, image overlays, and such. Okay. So for me, DSLRs has its purpose, as well as mirrorless. Again, mirrorless technology is pretty amazing. The focus is superior on the Sony. So with the Sony, I don't really think about missing moments anymore. But with the Nikon, it's become more uh, like more structure hmm. for me. I know what I'll get with my Nikon. Yeah. The Sony, I'm like, keep, just shoot away, have a good time with it. That's interesting. And, you know, I was actually just looking at a review from uh, actually dpreview.com, and we can link to this in the show notes as well. Uh, they were comparing the, the well, the, the most popular mirrorless cameras right now, of course, by Sony, Canon, and Nikon. And they ranked Sony, and of course, this is DP Review, and I'm, there may be other opinions out there, but... Uh, they rank Sony still as the number one in focusing your, and that, that active autofocus, more specifically tracking, being the ability to be able to track eyes. I mean, it's fascinating to me where this technology has gone and ultimately how accurate and how predictable yeah, it's, it's, it is. It's, 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 just, it's amazing. The focus on it. Yeah. It's real good. That's incredible. Okay. But again, I'm not being paid by Sony yet. So, <laughs> well, we need to work on that. We need to work on that stuff. We'll link to that review in the show notes in case those of you are listening and are curious to kind of check out the, the, the comparison between the three cameras. But Sony is still really doing incredible things out there with their technology. Let's, let's go a different direction in the conversation. I mentioned the topic of outsourcing at the beginning, and, and I want to go there. Leading up to our conversation, you made the following statement. I don't think enough photographers value or see the benefits in outsourcing their lives. And uh, this is an interesting statement to me for a couple of different reasons. First of all, you're just talking about the significance of outsourcing. And I don't hear so many photographers, maybe even those that are actively outsourcing, be so dogmatic about the benefit of outsourcing in their lives. But then you also, at the end of that sentence, you said outsourcing their lives. So it, it seems to hint that maybe editing isn't the only thing that you're outsourcing. Maybe you can comment on that as well, but explain the thought process behind that statement, if you will. For me, time is valuable. Hmm. Time is money. I'd rather spend my time building or designing systems that makes me money than doing the day-to-day task. I remember back in 2011 when I was starting other businesses, I'd outsource website designs, just anything that has to do with business, I'd outsource it all. That way I had more free time to work on the CEO type of things. Hmm. Same with photography. I mean, I don't outsource everything, just my edits right now because I'm trying to keep everything as systematized as possible. I do have an online studio manager who handles the communication for everything. So I guess that's outsourced, per, you know, more so here, there. But I think that once you outsource, because outsourcing, it can be problematic if you don't have the right systems to begin with and the right person you're outsourcing to or right company. That's a great point. But uh, so I, and as you're talking, I was thinking you mentioned earlier the book, The Four Hour Workweek, and I didn't comment on it at the time. I know this is a book that we've talked about prior on the podcast. We'll make sure to link to it in the show notes as well. But Tim Ferriss wrote a book 
the four hour work week that he has said since, you know, people take that so literally and I think kind of write off the book as an idea altogether because they're like, well, there's no way I'm going to work only four hours. And really what he is ultimately talking about in the book is how to leverage time intelligently so that you can then, as you were talking, as you pointed out to Sean, you can then focus on the things that actually matter to you. And he's not talking about sitting around on the couch and only working four hours a week, but then you're able to ultimately delegate the busy work elsewhere so that you can focus your your time and do so intelligently on the things that actually matter most to you and or your business. Now, he created, Tim, the author of that book, The 4-Hour Workweek, created a lifestyle that enabled him to work as little as four hours or so in a week. Um, not so ironically, at the time, I was creating Photographer's Edit, and actually at the outsource, or at the outset, rather, um, I don't think many people know this, but I was actually, as, as our company was growing, I, I spent the, the first, I don't know, couple of years or so putting systems in place and just working my butt off trying to make these systems work. We had to work through a lot uh, in those first couple of years in particular. But once the systems were in place and the workflow was in place, I was able to work as little as four hours or so in a week myself. And and a lot of that uh, was enabled through the principles that you can read about in that book. Now, in hindsight, I would say, eh, Maybe I should have worked a little bit more than four hours a week and, and my company would be in an even uh, greater place than it already is. I mean, we're seeing growth, active growth, wonderful growth right now still, uh, but but it would be a different ballgame had I put 10 or 15 hours a week into my, into my business at, the point, at that point. But regardless, this idea is possible, but it's made possible and it's going to look different for everyone. Some, some people, maybe 10 or 15 hours, others, 20 or 30 hours. Everyone's business model is going to look different, but it's enabled by certain principles that Tim does share in that book. And part of what he talks about, again, we'll link to it in the show notes, definitely check it out. Part of what he talks about is the significance of delegation or outsourcing the busy work, as Tashawn is pointing out, that enables you to then focus your time, your effort, your energy on those things that are more important to your personal life and that are going to actually make a difference in growth in your business and in your business life as well. So talk to me a little bit more in detail about what it looks like to run a photography business prior to outsourcing your editing, because this is one of the most time-consuming elements of running a photography business. Okay, so you want to hear the nagging wife voice? (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Yeah, talk to us about what that looked like. Martha complained how much longer will we be editing these weddings and all these things. And it's spending late nights editing photos of people that I love. And some people I really just didn't care to be around, but it's time consuming. Yeah. You get up, you get some work done. You're trying to code, trying to edit. And it's just, you get messages from, from clients. Hey, when will the photos be ready? Read your contract six to eight weeks. <laughs> and it's just time consuming, just spending days in nights in in Lightroom and Photoshop, hmm. trying to get things done, and it just becomes became so overwhelming. Like I'm tired of this. How long would it take you to to process an individual wedding, just on average? I will call probably take me you know an hour sort of call the entire thing. You know, do multiple calls, and I will take you know a couple of weeks to get the wedding done because I wouldn't sit in one setting doing it. Right, right. I'll do. Let me do ten here, ten here, and ten there, and. This wasn't motivating to just sit down and get it all done. I'm sure that people who can do that and enjoy doing it, I didn't. I wasn't that good at it either. I'm not. I don't always see color like most people do, so I don't, so sometimes my photo can look a little strange. I had a second shot for a guy one day, and he called me. He said, "Hey, let's talk." I'm thinking, "Oh crap, did I screw up?" He's like, 
you gave me the best solid raw files I've ever received. <laughs> he said, why don't your edits look like your raw files? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Okay, so but a couple of weeks to process a, a wedding, um, and I think this is something that a lot of photographers can relate to. Even those, and you know, it's interesting you point out the fact that, that you don't enjoy editing. Some photographers do. And while that is certainly an element of this conversation of how to decide what to delegate, I still think the more important element and one that you addressed initially is, is this, is me spending time in front of the computer, whether I enjoy doing that or not, actually serving my personal life and my really more importantly, more specifically, my personal goals? And is it also serving my business goals effectively? And if it's not, then really it should be delegated. And this is not just applicable to editing. It's applicable to so many elements of our photography business, which don't require, actually require our involvement. Do these activities serve our personal life and our family? Do they serve our business? And if not, then why are we spending so much time involved in them? And it seems like you had that kind of top of mind, which I really, really love. But what was the turning point? What actually pushed you over the edge and and made you say, you know what? I've got to make a change. I need to delegate or outsource my editing elsewhere. You know, my wife got pregnant with our first kid last year. Okay. And I was like, okay, things has got to change. Yeah. Because with the kid coming, I can't spend time in Lightroom every night or every afternoon mm. or every morning. Mm-hmm. Things has to change. And, you know, I've tried outsourcing prior to that. It's like hit and miss, most of misses. And I'm like, uh, it's not working out. Let me just do it myself. But when he was born, I was like, okay, I can't do this anymore. I need to spend every minute with my child since I both work, you know, both work from home. I want to see my kid. I want to see everything he's going through. And me spending time in Lightroom is taken away from that. And he's the most important person right now. And and that speaks to the significance of your values and your priorities. And and those values and priorities, whether you as a photography business owner, those of you listening in as photography business owners, whether you've done so consciously or not, those priorities, those values, the reflections of something that we've talked about here on the, the Boca podcast, uh, a big picture view, kind of the overarching direction of your life and why you're going in that direction. That's your personal life, your business life. Your values, your priorities will be a reflection of those, kind of that overarching direction. And uh, I love, Tashawn, that your choice to delegate editing was a reflection of your values and the priority to spend time with your family, more specifically uh, your baby. And and so here we are, you've made this change. You decide to start outsourcing your editing. You, you said you had tried outsourcing prior, not good experiences. Tell us when you made that, that decision to make a change, what was the experience initially? What did the process look like? Uh, see, I met them at a convention and they said, hey, we can help you with your edits. And I said, yeah, sure. You know, some of my friends have outsourced before. I've seen the results. I'm like, okay, you know, sounds cool. I'll give it a try. Maybe I get some more free time. And members communicating over email, send them a couple samples of what I like. And they would, you know, send me back images. I'm like, uh, I'd usually if I'm in a pinch. So they became my, like a pinch hitter, like we know that most clients can't tell the difference either way. Right. So they don't care. Once they look good, that's all that matters to them, you know, you know within reason. So I'll send them images, they'll send things back. And I'm like, I don't love it, but whatever. I don't have time to go back and forth trying to correct it. And, happen, you know, two, two other companies 
in the past. That's what it was like. And it's just got to the point where I felt like if I'm paying for something, I needed to look the way I wanted to look. Yeah. And, and there is a significance to that. I think one of the things that we've seen, well, first of all, it's, it's on the, the editing company to have a good system in place uh, to enable the photographer to communicate what it is that they want effectively to the editing company. And this is something that we put a lot of priority on at Photographer's Edit. But then I, on the flip side of that, and one of the things that we've experienced is that many times photographers will go to outsource or delegate their editing work, and they'll come to us, for example, and they'll essentially hand their images over without taking the time to communicate in detail what it is that they want. And and the, the commentary that we'll get occasionally is, oh, I just, I don't have time to communicate. I, I just, I, I need to get this done. Just, we just process the images for me. And the reality is that it actually takes a little bit of time. There is a process involved. And so for those of you listening in, if you have considered at all the idea of outsourcing your editing work, uh, please understand ahead of time that just like if, for example, and I, I've worked in the retail industry uh, for years ago. This was years ago. I worked in retail. And if I went to work for a clothing company, for example, they wouldn't just stick me out on the floor and say, okay, go do work uh, without communicating what their expectations were to me. Number one. Number two, they wouldn't allow me to continue to work for them without on an ongoing basis training me or communicating with me what more they wanted me to do. When you have an employer-employee relationship, it requires communication. And when you begin delegating editing to another company, you become the employer and that editing company becomes the employee. And so it requires ongoing communication. You can't just expect an editing company to, to do what it is that you want without communicating in detail on an ongoing basis. It requires a relationship. And that's really, really important to note. But Deshaun, I think uh, you and I chatted about this briefly before we started recording. I'm curious what it is that has enabled you to effectively outsource your editing because photographers are going to have various apprehensions about giving up their editing work to someone else, to another company. What has enabled you to do this effectively this time around? For me, it was one of those things where my, I, I don't have time anymore. And I look at the work they've done in the past and what they're currently doing. And does it look better than I can do myself? And I say, you know what? I'll go out, take a leap of faith, trust the process, and get it started. So I was, I made, I made the decision, you know, just because I was, even when I, you know, start connecting with you guys, I was still apprehensive, but yeah, so let me trust it this time. And I've liked it so far. And it's been pretty valuable since I've started with you guys. And you mentioned the idea that somebody would be better at the job than you. What Have you found that that's actually the case? Or is it occasionally that you see that the edits are better than yours? Other times, maybe they're comparable. And how important is that? I mean, you mentioned earlier something which is a reality. We may not talk about it a lot in our industry, but as much emphasis as we put on the quality of these images that, that we put online a lot of that is driven by you know our, our own ego as photographers or how we want other photographers in the industry to see our work. It has little to do with how clients actually, you know, 98% of clients actually see our work because they don't notice those little nuanced differences. Um, so talk to us a little bit about the significance of this idea that a company would process the images potentially even better than you do. Okay, so I see it like this. Remember back in 2000, was it six, seven, they had Palm Pilots and Motorola Razors and Samsung phones? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So for me, I saw my edits like that. You know, clients, they would love it because they didn't see the iPhone didn't come out yet. Mm. So I love these pictures, Deshaun. Great, you know, da, da, da. 
you know, full of moments, great emotions, you know, colors are great. But then when iPhone came out, they're like, oh, this is a phone. <laughs> okay. I like the analogy. So I don't want clients sharing, you know, the Samsung phones, model razors. And they're like, they go online. They said, oh, these are some nice photos here. The colors are rich and vibrant and black and white is kind con- yeah. Huh. That's well, I, I I will let that analogy speak for itself because it does so very effectively. And I appreciate you sharing that. I, and I really appreciate you just taking time in general to share with us today. And I, I'd love to to kind of finish our conversation again just by reiterating where our listeners can find both your website uh and you on social media as well, if you don't mind sharing with them. Yeah, TashawnJackson.com. T-E-S-H-O-R-N Jackson, J-A-C-K-S-O-N. And I spell it out because I had a hotel reservation in Delaware last year and I got to my room. They told me the Wi-Fi password was my last name. I typed it in. It was still wrong. I go downstairs. Someone spelled my last name wrong. <laughs> really? That, that's, wow. Quite, I'll just, big question mark there. How in the world would that happen? <laughs> oh, well, it is, as, as Tashawn pointed out, it's T-E-S-H-O-R-N Jackson, J-A-C-K-S-O-N.com. And, uh, of course, you can find him the same place on Instagram. We'll make sure to link to those in the show notes. And, by the way, go check out Tashawn's work because it's just beautiful work. I'm, I'm actually on your website, the homepage of your website, Tashawn. Just beautiful, beautiful work. And, and speaking of the quality of the processing, um, just gorgeous, gorgeous finishing here as well. So make sure you go check out, those of you listening in, TashawnJackson.com. Tashawn, thank you so much for making time for the Book of Podcast today. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks so much for listening to the Boca podcast today. Will you let us know what you think by leaving a review of the podcast in iTunes or maybe in the Apple podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast, maybe suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My direct email is nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca podcast is brought to you by Photographers Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. Dot com.